Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast. It's a Stripe Hype Friday, everybody. Blake Jude is here, Stripe Hype Cincy, and as you will find out coming up here, the host of the brand new Stripe Hype All Day podcast, which you can check out as well as Stripe Hype Cincy and BangalsInsider.com as our resident NFL draft expert and just correspondent who shows up every week on the podcast, a great friend of the show. It's kind of the theme of this show is friends coming on to talk sports. But we begin here today with Max Scherzer talk because shit went down in Major League Baseball. League-altering trades before the MLB trade deadline. Max Scherzer and Trey Turner were acquired by the Los Angeles Dodgers after there was a gut-punching report that they had been acquired, or Max Scherzer had been acquired by the San Diego Padres. And then for an hour or two hours, there was nothing. Radio silence across the board. I was on my way back to San Diego, went to go see the Rockies play the Padres. I was thinking that we were going to acquire Max Scherzer. And I took a gut punch to find out that not only was he not coming to the Padres, but that the Dodgers had acquired him and Trey Turner. There's some layers to this story, both from the national side, the Dodgers side, um, the Padres side, the Max Scherzer side even. Um, One of the first stats that I want to read off here, though, is that the Washington, D.C. sports teams traded five all-star players within eight hours yesterday. That would be Russell Westbrook going from the uh, Washington Wizards to the Los Angeles Lakers, a great move by the Lakers, great move by the Los Angeles Lakers. I was under the assumption the only way the Lakers could make that move was with a, uh, the only way the Lakers could make such a move was with a sign and trade with Dennis Schroeder. And then that was not the case. They were able to move Kuzma and Montrez Harrell and KCP to Washington for Russell Westbrook, along with the 22 pick in last night's draft. And in addition to Westbrook, the Washington Nationals, who we talked about on Thursday, had an opportunity to tear it all down. They tore it to the ground yesterday. Within like six hours, they traded Brad Hand to the Toronto Blue Jays. They traded Max Scherzer to the Dodgers with Trey Turner. They traded Kyle Schwarber to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Anthony Rizzo, by the way, went to the Yankees. That was a heartbreaking moment. The Cubs should be trading everyone today. And if you're listening to this in the morning, check to see 
if the Cubs have made trades yet, because there's going to be a Kimbrel trade. There's going to be a Bryant trade. There's going to be a Javi Baez trade. There might be even more people going out of Chicago here today. So Washington ends up tearing everything down and the Dodgers gave up their top two prospects. Kiebert Ruiz, the catcher, 15th overall prospect in Major League Baseball, and Josiah Gray, number two prospect in the Dodgers farm system, number 30 overall. Rarely do players of that caliber get traded, and we had two in the exact same trade. And this was jarring because the Dodgers do not make those trades. The Dodgers are the team that refused to trade Cody Bellinger because they said that Cody Bellinger was going to be special when he got into the major leagues, and lo and behold, he won an MVP in year three and rookie of the year, finishing second in the MVP in 2017. And they refused to trade Gavin Lux, who's gotten to the majors now and done well. And they'd refused to trade Dustin May, who, although he had Tommy John this year, was a key piece of their World Series team. And back in 2014, they refused to trade Corey Seager, who ended up winning World Series MVP five years later. The Dodgers hold on to their top prospects. And the fact that they were willing to part with two players and now hold the highest payroll in the history of Major League Baseball at $280 million, about $70 million over the soft cap, a.k.a. luxury tax threshold in Major League Baseball, is a huge pivot from what we expect from the Dodgers, where you know they waited, they waited, they eventually got Mookie Betts and signed him to a long-term extension. They waited for that generational piece to become available, and they signed him. And they'll likely do the same with Cody Bellinger coming up when he hits free agency in a couple years. And maybe they'll do it with Trey Turner now, who hits free agency in 2022. But Washington, I mean, the Dodgers never trade top prospects. And Washington walks out with two of the top 30 prospects in all of baseball. Like, this is a victory across the board for Washington. If you're going to do a teardown, do it the way Washington did it today, where you trade everybody at once and maximize their value. They just went down the list and just X'd off players. They went Brad Hand, gone. Then they went to the next guy. They went to... Uh, Scherzer and Trey Turner negotiated that trade, then swung over to Schwarber, traded him, swung over to Daniel Hudson, traded him to the Padres. Five all-star or four all-stars plus Daniel Hudson, who should have been an all-star this year, and Russell Westbrook leaving the Washington Wizards was a bludgeoning in Washington, D.C. today from all of their sports teams going into tank mode. Maybe a Bradley Beal trade is on the horizon. Maybe the Wizards end up with Ben Simmons and a bunch of no-name players and Kyle Kuzma, who's just a no-name player with clout at this point. And Washington ends up with five top prospects walking out of today. Their four all-stars turned into five top prospects. Schwarber got two prospects. Brad Hand got a top prospect. Uh, Daniel Hudson got the Padres' number nine prospect, Mason Thompson, and the crown jewels of them all, two top 30 prospects from the Los Angeles Dodgers in today's trade. The Nationals make out very well, and the Dodgers totally change course from what we expect from the Dodgers. They are aggressive. They are holding the highest damn payroll in Major League Baseball, and they get to do it by ripping out the hearts of my San Diego Padres in the worst way I can think of. So day one of a two-day trade deadline involved the Nationals selling everything and Anthony Rizzo getting traded and Diego Castillo going to 
the Tampa Bay Rays and whatever other crazy trades happen within the next few hours until the MLB trade line trade deadline officially passes by. It is a crazy, crazy moving day in baseball. And the Nationals Trey Turner trade, Trey Turner Max Scherzer trade is going to be the one that we remember years down the road. We remember Machado getting traded to the Dodgers and we remember the U Darvish trade. This is the one that we will remember years and years down the road is Max Scherzer and Trey Turner in the same trade going to the Los Angeles Dodgers. And it was a hell of a trade. Scherzer might not even be their number one pitcher, and he started in the All-Star game because they've got Walker Buehler and Clayton Kershaw, no Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer is also a big reason why the Dodgers have such a big contract or sorry, have such a big payroll at this point. And Corey Seager's still out, but Trey Turner can slide in at shortstop. And then maybe Corey Seager doesn't even get into the lineup because of how stacked that team is. It is craziness going on in Los Angeles. And it was so interesting because they never do this. The Dodgers never have done this before. Traded the top prospects, the ones that are like the can't-miss guys, which Kiebert Ruiz wasn't, but Josiah Gray was a huge prospect. They traded the can't-miss guys to get the solid players, uh, taking advantage of a market correction where teams really want the top-end prospects instead of a pool of players like what the... Yankees got for or what the Rangers got for Joey Gallo, which was four prospects and none of them better than number 14 in their system. Nationals took the top end prospects. They got about five in the top 200 of all of Major League Baseball. And the Dodgers are really freaking good, like really, really good. And they only get better at the expense of my beautiful San Diego Padres. But there's still 12 hours left till the trade deadline, and A.J. Preller can do crazy shit when you give him just enough time. So with that being said, let us swing on over here to our buddy Stripe Hype Cincy on a wonderful Stripe Hype Friday. What's going on? What's going on? (laughs) Happy Thursday. Yes, sir. Thank you. I It's been a long day yesterday working on a podcast of my own, actually, trying to edit it until like 4 a.m. last night. So, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> so be, you're starting of... your own podcast or is it with someone else? Yeah, it's going to be my own. Uh, it's going to be a Bengals podcast. Ooh. I have a co-host, but uh, yeah, it's kind of like Congratulations. my... I like to consider it both of our podcasts. It's kind of both of ours, but it's going to be yeah. uh, dedicated to the Bengals. And um, I'm the editor and uh, I guess the guy that introduces and hosts pretty much. So you're the, a, you're uh, the host, basically. I mean, you guys basically, but I know what you're talking about. <laughs> right. So I published nice. it last night on Anchor. Uh, I had to put it on an editing software. Oh three hours to try to edit it all down because when it comes to that stuff i'm like a perfectionist i gotta make sure like if i ever mess up or anything i have to fix it and um, yeah and then there's me who's just gonna throw everything together right now all this is gonna be included at some point so yeah well, it <laughs> works I, it works for yeah. you though it works it's yeah. just conversation being thrown out there so yeah we got blake jude here what's up everybody Anyways, now continuing with what you said, um, that's kind of cool. So you guys are starting their official Bengals podcast for the year because this is the time to do it. 
if you're going to do it right. for the 2021 season, this is the time to kick off. Yeah, it's going to be a Bengals podcast, but I will say, I think that we're going to try our best to, uh, you know, not just stay harbored along with the Bengals when it comes to like scouting, everything like that, you know, scouting something that I'm, I've always been big on, as you know, and once I go, once we start getting into the next year's scouting season and everything like that, I'm going to plan on just focusing more on the prospects and everything like that maybe uh you know there will be Bengals news whenever Bengals news comes out or anything but yes. there's anyone it's, it's not, not Bengals every, fans. it's not every day that Sam Hubbard gets a four-year contract from the Bengals <laughs> very true but uh you know it, it's not like uh you know we're gonna try to do like some mailbag stuff like that so if anyone has any questions about other teams in the podcast I can feel free to answer those on there as well so uh, you know, it's just, it's going to be a Bengals podcast. It's going to be dedicated to the Bengals. It's called uh, Stripe Pipe All Day Bengals Podcast. But I will say that uh, I think that we are going to try to reach out and, um, you know, grasp other topics as well while we're at it. And I, I just have to make sure when you say all day, it's spelled D-E-Y. Okay, I yes. was going to say, if not, you missed a real marketing <laughs> opportunity yeah. right there. No, I got uh, it. I got it. Yeah. Did you guys steal that from the Saints, by the way? Is the Who Day stolen from the Saints Who Dat? Is that where it came That's, from? Or is it it's a good question because it's a big controversy among Saints and Bengals fans. It's who started it first. If you look at one website, the Bengals started it first, another one, the Saints started it first. We really don't know exactly. Um, I believe the Bengals made Who Day their official uh, like slogan first before the Saints, but the thing the rumor was the Saints fans had their who dat kind of chant before the Bengals had their who day chant. So it's kind of a back and forth. So I, I guess officially the Bengals kind of had it first, but I guess when you talk about technical and what the fans came up with, I think the Saints technically had it first. Yeah, you dirty Saints fans stealing the Bengals, stealing the Bengals right. tricks. Come on. Yeah. Come on, Saints. Come on, New Orleans Saints, who have been good for 15 years, but were awful for an entire lifetime before that, as opposed to the Bengals, who have just been awful forever. Uh, <laughs> come on, Saints. <laughs> come on. Uh, are the Saints doing anything? I don't think so. Oh, Michael Thomas is out now. But other than that, yeah, I'm like, eh, nothing cool there. Um, <laughs> yeah, other than the quarterback situation, which is fascinating. Well, it's going to be Jameis, though. Like, we're, we're right. almost certain it's going to be Jameis, but, Taysom, but, but the Taysom package will be there. Yeah, and I just find it fascinating that, um, you know, I'm excited to see Jameis get another chance because, you know, he's a guy that, man, he, he could throw for 5,000 yards, but also throw for 30-plus interceptions. So what are you going to get from Jameis? You really don't know, but his potential's through the roof. Like, this dude can throw like no one else – in a good way and a bad way. <laughs> well, Jameis Winston is also just an interesting thought experiment because, you know, it used to be that that was valued and now that's devalued. It's better to be accurate as a quarterback than to it's, – it's better for the quarterback to just not make mistakes. If your quarterback doesn't make mistakes, then you can win a ridiculously high amount of football games. But turnovers end up being so costly now that – all of a sudden, there's a, a market correction where you value quarterbacks that just don't turn the ball over ever. And it's a really strange phenomenon going on in the NFL across the last, like, 15 years in a post-Peyton Manning world. And James is just one of those older quarterbacks. 
Right, yeah. I think the most fascinating thing for me when it comes to Jameis Winston's experiment is you, you take it back to whenever they were both going through the draft, Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota. If you had told me both these guys would have been backups for the majority of their career up until this point, I wouldn't have believed you one. Because watching these two guys in college, you would think these are two of the most talented quarterbacks you have seen in a decade. It was great both those uh, quarterbacks were at their time. Of course, Jameis Winston was <clears> – <throat> Literally a Heisman candidate, and and was he? Did he won the, the won the, no, he won the Heisman as a redshirt freshman, so he had to come back for another year to college, yeah. which was the year Mariota won the Heisman. Was right. Jameis Winston? Jameis Winston was a national champion quarterback and a Heisman Trophy winner, and was basically forced to come back to college the next season. And the, that was the year Jameis was even better that next year statistically. It was just Marcus Mariota had for my money, the greatest season in the last 20 years of college football. Yeah, I mean, bo- both quarterbacks were just ridiculous in college. And then they, neither of them really transferred over to the NFL, but always kind of sat in the back of my mind. It was like, were the Titans and the Buccaneers really the two best spots for James Winston and Marcus Mariota to go to? Of course, you know, you look at it now, both those are, are fantastic, and they were working well with what they had. But I really kind of felt like those two teams were built – uh, you know, I think there was a team more built for quarterbacks who don't make mistakes, as you mentioned, you know, the Ryan Tannehill's, the Tom Brady's of the world. Those are, those are guys that don't make mistakes. And we already know that the Buccaneers and the Titans both have uh, guys around them to uh, really be the, the ultimate stars of the team. You got guys like Derrick Henry on the Titans. So it's a more of a run focused offense, of course. And you have the Buccaneers, of course, having uh, great wide receivers and guys that you could throw to, uh, you know, uh, deep deep passes like, uh, you know, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, also having pretty reliable tight ends, uh, just an all-around balanced offense and also having a pretty good defense at that. Uh, I just think that both these squads were built for um, the quarterbacks that they're in right now. So Ryan Tannehill was a perfect build for the Titans offense. The Buccaneers were a perfect build for Tom Brady's offense, it really kind of felt like Jameis Winston and Marcus Mario both are kind of odd fits. So I feel like now that they're being introduced to hopefully newer schemes and everything like that, I want to see them get another chance to shine. Because I feel like these can be two quarterbacks that can probably take a step up and be a lot better than what we think. Kind of similar to how Ryan Tannehill was when they moved over to the Titans. There was this real, like, dark period in the NFL draft of quarterbacks from, like, 2012 until, like, 2016. And Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston kind of become the poster child for it. Like, other than the outright busts, which were like, you know, Geno Smith um, and, and Ponder. DJ Manuel. Christian Ponder was that weird 2011 class with, um, what's their name? Um, where uh, Sports Illustrated tried to trick us into thinking that Jake Locker and Blaine Gabbert were as good as Cam Newton coming out of the draft. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but right, yeah, yeah, that class, that class, you could loop Cam Newton in and say that entire class kind of stunk except for him. But then you had like RG three and Tannehill and, and Andrew Luck were 2012, which is, you know, not bad, but then you had like Blake Bortles, you had, uh, Deshaun Kaiser, Deshaun Kaiser. He was, was he a first or second round pick? He Deshaun might Kaiser, but pick. either way. He was up there. You had Goffman at the top of a draft. Manzel, Paxton Lynch. Um, like there was just a like Teddy Bridgewater was like the best quarterback drafted in the first round from 2013 to 2016. And so it was just it was weird because 
like they're the franchises that we most associate with losing also that we're drafting them buffalo the jets yep. uh the jaguars the titans the the bucks and i was never sure if it was just bad luck or just a weird time of bad evaluation because like it's not like there were bad quarterbacks in that time it there was russell wilson there was dak prescott like it's a, a lot of it is i think fit more than anything else but I just don't know how quarterbacks get good either, which was weird because if you watched that Rose Bowl between Mariota and Jameis Winston, you would have looked at that and said, oh, my gosh, this is like the greatest. This is amazing. Like it's an offensive explosion and these two are going to be great quarterbacks. And, you know, Jameis was just the the skill set passed the league by. No one drafts those types of quarterbacks at the top anymore. And for Mariota just injuries and trying to train Marcus Mariota out of being Marcus Mariota by trying to train him to be a pocket passer. Like they were like the last group of quarterbacks before the offensive revolution in the NFL. Like they were, they were still playing in the dead ball era of the NFL, which is not officially dead ball. Like it's not the nine, three games that were being played between the Panthers and the bucks and NFC championships in the two thousands. But it's still like the dead ball era of football from like 20, like, like 49ers, like Aaron Rodgers, Super Bowl all the way until Patrick Mahomes. It feels like that was like the dead ball era of football. You, you hit on the head. I mean, this was the era where everyone wanted their own Tom Brady and they just try to get the guys who they thought could be smart uh, passes. That's where you get a lot of your, Jake Lockers, your Christian Ponders, you got guys like that, you know, Deshaun, maybe Deshaun yeah. Kaiser can be put in that category. EJ well, Manuel, like, EJ yeah, Manuel I mean, was in there too. Your standard pocket passers who in college probably got away a little bit because, you know, it's a much different game in college, as you know. And of course, transferring that over to the NFL, everyone's expecting uh, these quarterbacks to be instantly just geniuses and know exactly what to do. Not every quarterback's going to be your you know, your Joe Burrow, your Justin Herbert type immediately coming into the NFL. It's going to be a bit of, a, of an adjustment period. I think a lot of – I think a lot of value or scouting evalu- evaluations figured that these guys who were trying to continue to develop and were having good seasons in college um, might have had a much easier translation to the NFL than what we originally thought. And I think that was a big problem. Um, I, I think if you look back on a lot of picks now, like Paxton Lynch, for example, he had every single tool to be a great quarterback, but – um, when you look back on his what he really did in college, I, I would say that he'd probably be in the Daniel Jones type, second, third round, possibly prospect. Might end up going early first round and team wants to take a reach on him. But well, scouting-wise, kind of had him around two, round three. I think that's where Paxton Lynch would be nowadays because they are two, I think, pretty similar quarterbacks. They have great size, can be mobile if possible, but do have some concerns with the, you know, the mental part of the game. And I think that's a big, that's a big key. Uh, changed over the years at the quarterback position is more people are looking towards finding the how fast a player can make progressions people are realizing that that's a little bit harder to teach than what you actually think it can be Uh, everyone thinks these these really raw prospects that can uh can be molded can be these good guys but they end up not really working out and that's why a lot of these um i think a good example another good example um the uh Gardner Minshew i think is a great example actually he ended up falling into round six he was a He's an example of a quarterback that I think could have been a draft. He was uh, back in the, you know, the 2012-2013 seasons. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that he would have been a much higher pick. So I think a lot of people thought that 
despite him being a little smaller uh, and, and not being as athletically gifted, I think that everyone thought that his mentality and being able to throw accurate passes and not make mistakes, similar to how Tom Brady was, uh, would be we could work out amazingly. I think that after a while, everyone kind of realized like that's going to create a much lower ceiling for us if we get a quarterback like that. And a lot of times they don't even pan out because you're not teaching them correctly. So let's get guys like Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, who have loads of potential. We can do whatever we want with them as long as we can get the right quarterback coach, right offensive coordinator around him. And let's see guys like that who showed true potential. And despite, you know, maybe some of them not having the best careers uh, compared to other people like, Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston, they are still fantastic quarterbacks and can be groomed into being elite talents. It's funny that you mentioned Minshew because I was thinking about as soon as you said that, I was like, yeah, he was in the same draft class as Will Greer and Will Greer was like a third round pick. And looking back now, like if you look at their two tapes and you look at their two measurables, it's like, so were you just drafting Will Greer because he's tall? Because Gardner Minshew you know, not a first round prospect, but he probably should have been a second or a day two prospect, like looking back on it. And it's not that the players are any different. Like you still have, like RG3 is a great example from 2012. RG3 was basically the package that Patrick Mahomes had, big arm, mobile. Um, You could build an offense with with run pass option plays. And yes, he got hurt, but ultimately like RG three was one of the most talented prospects coming into school. I say this with basketball all the time. Jalil Okafor is the most dominant basketball player I've ever seen in college basketball. And he did did not work out in the NBA. And I think a lot of that had to do with, you know, Shanahan um, when Shanahan got fired, all of a sudden Jay Gruden wanted to turn RG three into a pocket passer. And they did this with everyone. They did it with, uh, Mariota, they try to do it with Jameis, uh, even Everyone though Jameis mobility. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly the way you put it earlier, and it's exactly the way people were evaluating quarterbacks. And we come to find out, no way, everyone's doing it wrong. You right. should build the the offense to the quarterback instead of building right. the quarterback to the offense. And some players were just like Matthew Stafford is a great example. Matthew Stafford was versatile enough that the Lions said we're not going to limit his game. We're going to let him scramble if necessary. We're going to let him make big plays if necessary. We might even let him call a play or two. We're just not going to limit the offense. Same thing with um, Matt Ryan, even though his game is more like Tom Brady. Like Matt Ryan is another version of Tom Brady, just with more talent than Brady had coming out of college. And whatever happened on the in-between happened. But Matt Ryan, we've had Matt Ryan Hall of Fame debates before. Like, the very least there's a case there for Matt Ryan. Like Matt Ryan had the the Brady gifts at a time when everyone wanted to find those types of quarterbacks. And then they tried to do it to, they weren't creative enough to recognize, look, RG three's got this RPO gift that, you know, can change the NFL the way Patrick Mahomes just changed the NFL. And, you know, I've done podcasts before about the 2012, 2013, RG3 season where he won rookie of the year and Washington won the division like that got people excited like that was a revolution that just disappeared as soon as he tore his ACL and they fired Shanahan but that was magical that 2012 RG3 season was magical in Washington it it was it was a great season and it really it was terrible to see like all the injuries that ended up happening RG3 kind of derailed his 
you know, to go back to what you were saying earlier, I, I really think the true pioneer of this new era of building around your quarterback, not not having your quarterback build around the team, you know, necessarily, uh, is Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. That's really where you see this work to the greatest extent and the full fruition is seeing the Ravens take Joe Flacco's um, historically great uh, couple of t- one Super Bowls have gone to the playoffs, have have done great. Uh, and completely just turn it on its head, completely flip it around. This was a team that was successful. They were winning games. It's not like they were out of the playoff race. They were right there in, in the thick of things. The Bengals had just beaten them, knocked them out of the playoffs to let the Bills in whenever they drafted Lamar Jackson that year with pick 30 in the draft. And I think a lot of people expected, like, okay, this is still Flacco's team. This is just an insurance policy. Um, you know, if, if once Flacco's re- retiring, this is Lamar Jackson's team. They could probably transfer. Uh, Joe Flacco with legs and the Ravens are like hold on no he's Lamar Jackson let's make him Lamar Jackson let's do what Lamar Jackson wants to do and what they do is they completely flip the team turn it into a much different run head offense and ends up turning the team into one of the best in this last couple of years I mean this is a fantastic team and one of the hardest schemes to figure out if you are an opposing defense you really don't know despite it being almost clear that they're going to run 80% 80% of the time, you really don't know where they're going to run or how it's going to happen. It could be J.K. Dobbins to the outside, Mark Ingram, for example, up the middle, Lamar Jackson scrambling outside. And then when you're least expecting it, deep pass to Marquis Goodwin. You're just screwed. You know, there's no way of really figuring out what you want. And if, if Lamar Jackson does choose to throw it, if you don't sack him in the first five seconds, he's scrambling out and he's getting 20 yards rushing. It's really impossible and- even if you contain him, he's throwing passes to Marquise Brown over the top for touchdown passes to Marquise Brown. Mark Andrews as well. Yeah, Mark yep. Andrews as well. I mean, it's just they, they had built this team around Lamar Jackson, not trying to make Lamar Jackson Joe Flacco and keep the team they already had. That's what really led to their success. And I think that even though, uh, we, you know, Mahomes came a little bit before that, he already had his success at that time. Uh, we had a couple other quarterbacks having success being built, being, you know, I think there's a couple other good examples before Lamar Jackson's time. This is the example of what worked best. Uh, the Ravens are the absolute best case scenario for how their philosophy was. And I think now teams are starting to realize like, hey, Kyler Murray, for example, this is a guy that we can build the team around him. We don't have to make him the next Carson Palmer for our offense. You know, we can we can look at guys like, um, I, I think another pretty good example will be eventually Jordan Love. Uh, you know, we could build a team around him. Let's not make him be Aaron Rodgers. I think that's the perfect example of what I think can lead to some success for quarterbacks in the long run is just making sure that you have their own flavor into the game. And as we mentioned, this is really the problem with Winston and Mariota. They really never got to have their own flavor. It kind of felt like they were just forced into a specific position at quarterback, having to be that pocket passer or having to be that uh, guy who makes the basic throws. And it really just didn't work out for them because they didn't get to showcase their strengths. And plus, as the field starts to open up in the NFL, there's going to be an incentive to get those guys and say, do these gifts that you're excellent in in college, whether it's, you know, as I mean, a lot of these come from like the air raid, the the neutered air raid or whatever, you know, uh, I forgot what they call the the sooner raid basically is like Oklahoma's air raid that's not actually air raid. Like, yeah, that's where Baker Mayfield comes in. And then the Rattler raid. Is that what we're calling it now? Damn. <laughs> we can call it that now. <laughs> I, just, so I just thought of Spencer Rattler. No, I thought about that. And Rattler, 
was Rattler somewhere else before, or is he the the new one? Because um, Kendall was Kendall was the quarterback last year. I was like, how bad is, is this guy <laughs> that he can't like he can't play offense basically in Oklahoma's team for like the first two weeks? He turned it around at the end of the season, but. It's like that dude, Kelly Bryant, that was like the quarterback of Clemson for like a season, like one of the great dynasties of college football. And then just, nope, here's Trevor Lawrence. And uh, yeah, Kelly Bryant's, I think, in the CFL now. But um, what's interesting about offenses, like the sooner rate offense bringing to the NFL with some of those quarterbacks, like as spread offenses start to increase and, you know, defensive players get more lean, all of a sudden there's going to be like incentives for quarterbacks to be in one type of mold that reflects Patrick Mahomes and then reflects Kyler Murray. And then not everyone's going to be able to be that because defenses will adjust and figure out how to stop Mahomes, just like they did in the Super Bowl. Like, cause for all the, all the problems with the offensive line, that the solution was right. That um, Todd Bowles figured out, which is basically you rush with four, you get pressure with four, which everyone wants to get pressure with four, but you could even bring five, drop two safeties back in coverage and, force the middle to intermediate throws, which can get picked off by your linebackers or your ball hawking corners. And the pressure to not let the play keep going derails the air raid offense. Cause that's one of the principles of the air raid is that you have to get at least three seconds. You have to get three seconds right. to execute the air raid offense. So that's the, that's, you know, it's the solution that people have. Now it's easier to say than it is to execute. Cause you have to have really good players on defense that can get pressure with four. But all like the NFL is going to change again and evolve. But again, everyone's going to want a Mahomes. Everyone's going to want a Kyler Murray. And there's just not as many of those guys, whether it's Rattler or um, I forgot the the other person who's at the top of the draft this year. Yeah, Sam Howell. That's right. North Carolina guy. Um, All the all those players are going to be there, but eventually people are going to catch up to it. And you're going to have the same problem where there's a lack of flexibility to whatever skill set the quarterback brings, but also rule changes and defenders being more lean than they are like just 300 pound interior linemen, all of it changes. And then we'll have the next evolution of football, which is uh, once you have tiny defensive linemen and tiny linebackers, you go back to power running and just power run with 280 pound running backs through smaller defenders yeah, I, I love that you brought up the Todd Bowles idea of rushing four because I, I think when you look at how valuable each position is in football, I would argue after quarterback, the two most valuable positions after that are edge rusher and offensive tackle. Those are your two big positions that you need to have someone that you could trust at that position. The Miles Garrett, the TJ Watts of the world, flipping on the other side, looking at the um, – The other you know, Bosa. Trent the other Williams. Bosa or, yeah, yeah, Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa. Uh, you know, you look at Trent Williams, you look at guys like, um, you know, Ryan Ramchek, all these Teron Ar- Armstead, Ronnie Stanley, all these great tackles. Um, those are guys that, you know, you could trust for two reasons. Um, for Miles Garrett, you could trust that he's always going to put pressure on the quarterback. So any of the ideas of forcing the deep pass is going to kind of be null and void because you're not going to have three seconds of Miles Garrett across from you. But at the same time, if you have Ryan Ramchak blocking Miles Garrett, maybe you have a chance because he's going to easily, uh, I guess, a, an average NFL edge, he's going to give you maybe five or even six seconds for you to do whatever you want to do. That's that's going to be able to create a lot more comfort for your quarterback and be able to make good passes and not make mistakes. And I think, you know, going back to Jameis Winston, you know, he didn't have the offensive line Brady had. 
uh, at that time in Tampa Bay. He And if he did, maybe things would have been different. Since he had more comfort, he wouldn't have been able to make as many mistakes as what he did before. I, I think now that's a after looking at the quarterback, you know, a lot of people really want to value quarterback, and I agree with it. It's definitely the most important position in, in football. But after that, that edge versus offensive tackle matchup is crucial to winning a, a football game. That's really what we call the trenches uh, in a lot of ways. Also, you know, you look at the interior versus the D-line, everything like that. That can be uh, very important as well. But the, especially that edge rush, you're being able to maybe force the quarterback to either step up in the pocket or fall back from the pocket uh, and, and try to escape in some ways. And Lamar Jackson is such a great quarterback because that almost feels like null and void. Because once an edge rusher gets to him, he is scrambling out and making plays on his own with his feet. And that's what makes him such a great quarterback um, is, is being able to t- almost take that matchup and kind of make it nothing. <laughs> and also having a great tackle when Ronnie Stanley certainly doesn't hurt either because he's going to protect uh, Lamar Jackson for four or five seconds to allow him to make the best choices and best throws. Do you think that, you know, in – five years like because people started figuring out the Lamar Jackson game and and part of it was the Ravens counter like well what if we added his passing element back into the game like the problem last year was like no we're just gonna like hawk a linebacker and maybe even hawk a second linebacker to deny the run and force him to be a pocket passer basically and the Ravens counter by like all right we're gonna get Rashad Bateman we're gonna get Sammy Watkins we're gonna be like okay he led the league in passing yards in 2009 or passing touchdowns in 2019 so we're gonna have him be that but do you do you see like do you foresee like a a decline for Lamar Jackson because I look at Lamar right now and I say he's elite one of the four best quarterbacks in the NFL no ifs ands or buts like he carried them to 11 wins last year almost single-handedly and got to the second round of the playoffs. And I look at the, I look at that and I say, is, or I ask you, is, is there concern you see with Lamar Jackson as defenses start to adjust to the Ravens offense or Raven? Yeah. Adjust to the Ravens play calling and the it, Greg it, Roman play calling more specifically. Yeah. It really relies on the coaching staff and the ability to keep everything fresh because once you start getting a little, uh, I think a good example, and I hate the, you know, the badger with the Bengals, but the, the Bengals were actually one of the few teams last year that actually had a great defensive game plan against the Ravens when it came to how they played and how their scheme was. And I, I noticed after that, every team started to implement what the Bengals did, just attack the flats really hard, make sure there's no one that can get to the flats, force Lamar Jackson, as you mentioned, to stay in the pocket. Uh, you know, usually always had a, a, a really fast linebacker, maybe even a safety coming down to kind of spy. Jesse Bates was a big-time spy on Lamar Jackson throughout his time uh, or throughout the games. And he would, you know, Bates is one of the best safeties in the league when it comes to getting range, driving downhill, making tackles. And so um, Lamar Jackson kind of had a little bit of his struggles. And I know that he wasn't really able to run very well. And I think the, the, the key thing, I think everyone recognized the Ravens needed to have much more of a dangerous pass game in order to be uh, more of a danger uh, this season. And I think that now that they've added that, I definitely think Lamar Jackson could have his best career season this year with the Ravens right now. But at the same time, that's pretty hard, though. That's pretty hard to, to top what he did in no, 2019, no. for sure. No, but, I, and I'm not, say, I'm not saying it will. I'm just saying it could. It is a possibility yeah. because he is. this is the best set of weapons he has had since he joined the Ravens. I think we can all agree on that, right? Oh, no, absolutely. I think you – I mean, he was throwing to, to Boyle and Andrews before. Like, Andrews kind of became a true number one, and I'm not sure if 
Andrews is that tight end. I always, I always go back to the middle of the road. If Gasecki is the average tight end, like Andrews is above that, but I'm not sure he was, I think he was like the third drafted fantasy tight end last year. And I'm not sure he's that in terms of talent, but you know, Sammy Watkins is obviously going to help just as a volume guy. Like Sammy Watkins is a big play guy, but really he's more of a volume receiver. Um, and I mean, you know more about Bateman than I do, but Bateman pick was interesting by Baltimore. So these are, I would agree, these are probably his best set of weapons. Um, even going back to that one weird season where he played like eight games and they were below 500 and then came back to win the division. Like even that season, I would say in the four years he's had, this would be his best weapons on offense. And of course, you know, they, they do lose Orlando Brown, which was a, a pretty big loss. But at the same time, Offensive line is still manageable, and, and Lamar Jackson could have uh, the, the best team around him. And, and we're forgetting Lamar Jackson is younger than Joe Burrow. I mean, this is still a guy that is still getting faster, as crazy as it maybe seems. He's still getting stronger. He is still um, able to, uh, you know, move at an elite level. I mean, this is a guy that is has not technically reached his prime yet in talent. Now, you could argue maybe he already has, uh, but. We don't know that until I don't we see so. his full career yeah. pan out. I don't think so either. And so with, have, with having the weapons that he has and having the potential to be even b- stronger, faster, uh, more accurate, better in general, this is a guy that still has a higher ceiling than what we think he could have from his insane 2019 MVP season. So I, I think that it will be a while for us to see Lamar Jackson decline, but I will say I think it does come a lot faster than a lot of other quarterbacks in the NFL nowadays, mainly due to the reason that a big part of his game is his being able to be mobile and be on his feet. And we've kind of seen over the years with mobile quarterbacks, they slow down a lot more once they get into their thirties. And once that kind of becomes an issue, a lot of teams have to figure him out. They already know what makes Lamar Jackson great. They're going to be able to find ways to stop him. And Lamar Jackson's not going to have the insane juke ability, the insane speed to be able to dodge those, uh, dodge those hits. And that's what, ultimately causes injuries and what kind of derails their careers. So I, I do think uh, as long as the Ravens adjust to Lamar Jackson, uh, like they already are doing, I think that he can last a very long time, but they need to really adjust when it comes down to it at the end of, near the end of his career, because Lamar Jackson is going to have to become much more of a pocket passer when he, whenever he turns into his 30, 31, 32, because he's not going to have the same speed, the same juke ability, the same awareness and recognition that he, than he did back now. But have we seen a quarterback with that level of athleticism from Lamar Jackson? Because I think of Cam Newton and Dak Prescott as the two that are like, oh, yeah, they're athletic quarterbacks. They use their legs a lot in offense. But, you know, those are obviously bigger quarterbacks. And Lamar Jackson is what? I'm guessing six foot, maybe. Like, yeah. maybe a little over six foot. And, you know, fast – Internet says he's six two, but his his measurables from the draft come in around six one or six yeah. foot five. Wait, I'm, I'm pretty five sure eight. It looks like okay. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure my scouting report I had him listed as six foot one, but yeah. Six foot one. It, it really kind of feels like uh, they always give the players in a stranger. Oh, and like Jamar Chase, for example, is six, six foot flat. But whenever I have him listed on my scouting report, he's closer to five foot ten, five foot eleven. He's just, you know, they just give him an extra inch or two just to make him look better. <laughs> yeah, and, and so Lamar is in an interesting place just because 
I, I don't know if we've seen anything like him. And you're right, like naturally we assume athleticism will decline with age and as you take more hits and as you have more pain on your body. But Lamar Jackson, like, does Lamar Jackson ever get hit? That's another thing I think about. I don't think of Lamar Jackson like ever getting hit, which makes me think that he could sustain that for like six, seven years while also, and I'm going to say it right now, winning a second MVP by the age of 25. Yeah, no, I mean, it certainly can't happen. And uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if it did. Uh, I think Lamar is a extremely talented quarterback when you look at all aspects of his game. I mean, he has every single tool necessary to be elite. And, you know, adding guys like Rashad Bateman is only going to give you uh, more chances to complete your game because you're going to have the deep ball pass, deep ball threat in Marquise Brown. You're going to have the, the red zone threat, the third down and short threat in Mark Andrews. You're going to have a great running back in J.K. Dobbins. You're going to have these pieces around him to help complement uh, the weaknesses that he has shown in certain aspects. So he ultimately is going to continue to turn into almost in a certain way, uh, uh, not a perfect quarterback, but a quarterback that really has no problems. You know, it's not like, it's not like you say anything. And he's like, Oh, he is not very good in that. He's always pretty good in everything. And he's great when it comes to running the ball, of course. And that's what kind of makes quarterbacks ultimately end up being elite. You know, Patrick Mahomes is not bad at anything. He is great at throwing the ball deep. He is great at accuracy, but he is not bad at anything. Lamar Jackson could be that same way. And this brings us back to the conversation we had at the beginning. The emphasis is on mistake minimization than on the gifts specifically that you have. And when you combine some of those things, you get Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson and Russell Wilson until the last eight weeks of last season, which still doesn't make any sense to me why Russell Wilson all of a sudden turned into a turnover machine. But, you know, some of those physical Aaron Rodgers is also a great example of that, but those that's where you get those players. And of course they go to the greatest organizations in terms of the Ravens and the chiefs specifically with those two quarterbacks being organizations that have been the best run for the last decade of professional football. And the Ravens, you could go back two decades. It's like, actually, I'm going to look that up. Have the Ravens won non-Patriots category? Are the Ravens won the most games in the NFL of the last 20 years? But I don't know what the Ooh. answer is. But, of course, it's those two Maybe organizations. Pittsburgh? Oh, you That's think, a good think, one. Pittsburgh's yeah. a good one, too. Let's see. So most wins since 2000. Is this, oh, through 2020. So, oh, wow, Baltimore's actually fifth on that list. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So Steelers are two. Yeah, uh, that's what Packers, I thought. Packers are three. And then Saints are four. Saints are six. Uh, four okay. is the Indianapolis Colts. Wow. Okay. Colts, huh. uh, I mean, you just take out that. Those two bad. I mean, all of those teams had bad seasons, except the Patriots, who are tr- currently holy gee, twenty-seven games ahead of second place. So nuts. Every <laughs> everyone had bad seasons somewhere in there. So um, the Packers had the two years where McCarthy was getting fired. The Colts had the two years in between uh, Jim Caldwell and Bruce Arians. Well, no, Jim Caldwell and Chuck Pagano. Right. Or Jim Caldwell got yeah. Jim Caldwell coached the Owen 14 team. I forgot about that. Jim Caldwell was the coach of that team that tanked for Andrew Luck. Um, then you had. But it, it, what's fascinating is the Steelers had not had a losing season at all in those 20 years. Did they not I have they no would... losing seasons? Not even. Um, well, 
except for the one to get maybe roethlisberger right yes but even that was like the ninth pick in the draft 2004 but they still had like the ninth pick in the draft so it was probably like a six and ten season or a five and eleven season right they never had the top Uh, pick in the draft after they added big ben they had not had a losing season since which is i mean astounding to see i mean that is nuts and i think i hate to to say this but i i I don't i don't but uh probably that streaks might end this season because this is a team that is uh i'm a lot less confident in especially on the offensive line as what i was last year well think about it that division's been the same for 20 years just like the nfc the i'm sorry the afc east has been the same for 20 years it's been patriots on top and then everyone else just shit below and it's been the steelers and the ravens two of the top five teams it's the only division that has two teams on this uh, in the top 10. Well, I guess the Broncos and the Chiefs are kind of right there, but the Broncos and Chiefs live on two different planes. Like the Broncos were good, the Chiefs were bad. The Chiefs are good, the Broncos are bad. So they kind of live on separate right. planes, but it's the only division that has two teams at the top and that means that two at the bottom are Cleveland and and Cincinnati. So now Cleveland's good. And even then they they yeah, no, Cleveland found a way to come up. Cincinnati had a couple of years in, in 2010 through – or 2009 through 2015, really. Like, that was yeah. those six and years, whatever. They were – Remember, the during like, those years, the Ravens were bad. The Ravens had, yep. like, the number five pick in the draft and got Ronnie Stanley as a result. But the Ravens were bad for a couple of years in there. It came right back up. <laughs> yeah, and then you guys went right back to the shithole. Yep. Um, yep. And now Cleveland's going up, and it looks like Pittsburgh's going down because Pittsburgh yep. hasn't evolved. Like – Right. The Ravens are still great because they got a Hall of Fame, future Hall of Fame MVP quarterback. But um, Pittsburgh's kind of just hanging around like, eh, eh, we're on shaky ground and Cleveland's really good. So um, I, I totally forgot shit. about this, but I, I think a uh, an important aspect that we haven't really covered yet is the news that just kind of dropped today about Lamar Jackson, or maybe it was yesterday, about him not joining camp yet due to COVID-19 protocols and it was unknown oh, yeah. when he was going to return. Oh, yeah, that's a firm now. He had he has COVID. Lamar has COVID yeah. again. So um, he got it. Is he, he missed a couple games there. I assume so. Like he had it back in he had it back in January. No, um, th- around Thanksgiving when we had to play Wednesday night football because the Ravens were in the protocol. But I, I don't know. Let me let me look that up. But anyways, what were we saying before that? I, I was just saying, I, I just think that's that that adds another layer to this, and and I think could be. I, I wasn't exactly sure if he had COVID. I thought he was maybe just against the vaccine or something, because I know a lot of players right now are, and that I think has the potential to derail a lot of careers. Oh, so you I was correct. like, it could be. No, you are correct. Lamar Jackson, the source confirmed to um, ABC Baltimore. Uh, that Lamar is not vaccinated, which means he will miss 10 days of camp at a minimum. Whatever ends up messing with Lamar Jackson's body ends up being, you know, potentially derailing the MVP season I just declared for him about 10 minutes ago. Yeah, no, I I think that it's just, I mean, this is, this is a whole new layer that I think could take all of our analysis and throw it out the window, depending on what happens to who, because all of a sudden all of our predictions are just flipped on their head because the team has a breakout and all of a sudden can only play, or can't even, maybe not even be able to play at all and have to forfeit games. So I don't know. I just, <clears throat> we only talk like Lamar Jackson and it just reminded me of like, Hey, this is, <laughs> that is something that could definitely derail, uh, you know, his progression in some way, shape or form. 
uh, that or possible injury, you know, whatever happens, if, you know, anything could happen in the NFL, of course, as we know. And, and uh, fingers crossed, I hope and pray that none of that ever happens to any player in the NFL, but we all know eventually it will. So, um, you know, it's just something that is an extra factor. But i just go back and talk about the main point overall. A fully healthy Lamar Jackson with the team he has now and being able to continue to get better is going to be a great quarterback. And I think uh, is going to eventually maybe, like you said, be a two-time MVP uh, if he can reach the potential that he has. But I will say, I think once he gets up into his 30s, 31, 32, he will start, I think he will start to decline and he won't have the Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers careers where they're they're 40 years old and being MVP candidates still. Well, you mentioned the COVID vaccine thing. So I wanted to dip through some of these headlines because we've got like a few dozen coming out of, or no, half a dozen coming out of training camp right now. So uh, what do you think about Xavier Howard? Let's start there. That's an easy one. <laughs> What's going on there with Xavier Howard, who, by the way, they can take a $13 million dead cap hit if they trade him, or they can wait till next off season and have a $1.5 million dead cap hit. It's just whether or not the dolphins are willing to ride out the, the potential ugliness of a, uh, the ugliness of a Xavier Howard holdout blowing up that team. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's it's a gut punch to the Dolphins. I mean, Xavier Howard is really the building piece around almost their entire team. He was the one star they, they kind of kept out of everyone that they had from the original team. And it really kind of felt like, you know, this is going to be in Howard's defense and maybe to his offense uh, for the future. But, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, Howard, and I, I actually kind of think rightfully so, felt disrespected by the Dolphins, just saying that he was kind of left in the dust uh, in some ways and had to suffer through some terrible seasons to hopefully go back and, and to being promising. And all of a sudden, they now that they are starting to win, they get another quarterback or let the other guy go. And all of a sudden, two is struggling a bunch now. And so now he's worried that maybe they're going to revert back to what they were before. And I, I think that he – he feels like, uh, you know, overall, he just did not feel like the Dolphins had his best interest in mind. And you could argue that maybe that was the case because he did have a lot of his prime careers wasted because of the Dolphins having a terrible team. So uh, I think him asking for a trade came at an odd time because I feel like this was a time where the Dolphins were finally starting to go up. But at the same time, it does make sense in the long run. And I think that um, – and, and their aspect of the game, it really just sucks because they were right there in the playoffs. Uh, they they could have been, they could have won the playoffs had they not lost to Matt Barkley and the Bills. Uh, but uh, I will say, I, I think that you know they are kind of stalling their rebuild uh, by. Um, I think right now entrusting to, uh, I think, you know, and, and they kind of made it clear to themselves that they were wanting to trade for Deshaun Watson. I think that what they really should have done now looking back on it, I think beforehand, we all kind of liked the idea of adding two to the Dolphins, but looking back on it now, kind of felt like maybe the best move would have been to add a, a good quarterback right now in his, in his prime in some way, shape or form, maybe. Um, I don't. I really don't know if I have a good example, but maybe if you were able to somehow add a Kirk Cousins or Derek Carr, I always talk, kind of think of those quarterbacks for some reason. But uh, if you were able to add a quarterback of their caliber or better, uh, this could be a lot different for the Dolphins right now. Well, yeah, that's kind of the problem that the Dolphins have run into for a while now. It's just, hey, we we kind of want Deshaun Watson, but also now this legal drama is making us look up and say, you know, from a football standpoint, and again, this is. Not the way I like discussing the Deshaun Watson case, but more specifically, the Dolphins are the team that 
you know, Watson wanted to go there. They wanted him. Everyone was going to be kumbaya and back for the next 15 years. And that's just not realistic at this point for Miami, given Watson is going through a, I think depositions start on September 13th and the case will go into next year. And the NFL should have him on the exempt list instead of the fact that Deshaun Watson, apparently, according to a tweet today, is playing safety for the scout team for the Texans right now, just to fill time since he's like fourth on the QB depth chart right now for the Texans. And so the Watson is is hanging out there and the Dolphins are kind of stuck in limbo as a result. And Xavier Howard, the corner, the, the, the cornerstone of the defense requesting a trade is a sucker punch for them only because I don't think their defense is going to be replicable year over year because they were really reliant on turnovers last year as a main factor of their defensive output and turnovers are kind of sporadic year over year. So it's a weird situation. Yeah. I mean, just, <laughs> just, just, just weird in general, really. I, I don't know. It's just, <clears throat> I, I think now uh, just looking at the, the overall kind of big picture in a way, I really don't know where I'm going to go with this. I don't know. I'll just kind of kind of clear that up. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. I don't have um, a good answer. My fault. I don't know. I, I just kind of – I was going to go back to the big picture of, of where the NFL is at in general, but I was like, that really just doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> <laughs> way, to, way to dip out. We could edit. This is why we, this is why we have software editing. Anyways, <laughs> so next up, how about Chandler Jones? Question mark. Chandler Jones is a same, similar situation. Yeah, uh, for Chandler Jones, this is a guy that I was extremely high on for quite a long time. I thought that he was one of the most underrated edge rushers ever, <laughs> really. You look at it, you know, I mean, just in general. And um, I, I think that an, another odd time to no longer want to be with the team, you know, like for Xavier Howard, for example, uh, and this is kind of what I guess I was trying to think, like a, a lot of players tend to want to bail out in a way uh, right when everything starts to get good. And it kind of feels like this is kind of the case for both Xavier Howard, Chandler Jones, and really Aaron Rodgers as well. It kind of feels like this is really odd timing for these guys to want to leave, you know? Like, I would understand if I got a team or a good player would want to leave in a 2-14 and 14 or 3-13 and 13 season. But, like, these are teams that are starting to be good. Like, these are teams that are all playoff contenders in some way, and you're wanting to leave now, which is why I kind of had my head scratching – why, why kind of scratch my head a little bit? Like, why are you wanting to leave at a high point? Um, and ultimately, all you're doing is just screwing over the team. And probably, you know, it's you don't even know if you're going to go to another team that's even better or not. So it's a big risk to be able to uh, request a trade like that. But I will say, in, in the case of both Howard and Jones, I think that uh, these are two players that will definitely turn around a defense if they were to join uh, that defense. And, um, you know, hopefully it's not the same. Uh, it, it it's not like Cleo Mack to the Bears where he really doesn't have anything going for him. The Bears in general doesn't have anything going for him despite Cleo Mack being elite. Hopefully they can go to a good team and be able to be effective in the future. So it really just depends on uh, where it goes, of course. I think that Chandler Jones um, is still, you know, possibly a 12-plus sack player in the NFL. So he is still an elite level edge rusher in my eyes. And I think that depending on where he goes, I think can really uh, 
I think it can really affect how his career is going to be outlooked in general because he's this is going to be a guy that a lot of us are going to forget in 20 years. But we're forgetting that Chandler Jones has had some of the most dominant seasons ever since 2000. This is a guy that's been insane. I mean, he has been – I mean, J.J. Watt was unreal. But I would say after J.J. Watt, he has had the second most dominant season uh, in the NFL up until now. Yeah, and Chandler Jones is unfortunately relegated to some history of bad Cardinals teams, and right. was was part of the he he left right as the Patriots were getting good, but he was like the Patriots have always had kind of faceless defenses. Like the Patriots have never had someone who jumps off the screen as like, wow, look at this Aaron Donald type superstar. It's kind of been like a faceless defense for a long time. Like Donta Hightower is going to be a hall of famer. Most people don't really regard Donta Hightower as like one of the great linebackers of the last 10, 20 years. So, you know, Chandler Jones gets to be faceless, but then also, yeah, you're right. Relegated to like remembered for dominant seasons that he had, but not remembered in the way that we think of great NFL edge rushers. And, He's been on crappy Cardinals teams, and if he does leave the Cardinals, he's going to probably end up on another crappy team. But uh, Buffalo, make the call. Buffalo, go get Chandler Jones. You need, oh, you need edge love rushers. It. I would love it. Oh, my gosh, please. I, I will say that Buffalo did in the draft, though, so I don't know if that's Obviously, the first pick at. was Gregory Gregor Rousseau. So. Yeah. So uh, yes. I don't know if that's a- going to. Man, it would be amazing if, if that happened. But it just it just felt like a weird timing because you know you add they added JJ Watt apart from Chandler Jones. So you, you know the, well, the, the guy that I was just like talking about having the most yeah. dominant season. You know, I know, yeah. but 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 the, but the edge rusher having the most dominant season is now apart from the edge rush, the second edge rusher for the second most dominant season. So it's just kind of ridiculous to see that these two greats, I think are great edge rushers, are apart from each other at this point. And you kind of feel like you know this is Chandler Jones's time to be the one focal point of every offensive line that goes up against the Cardinals because everyone's thinking about Chandler Jones and everything up against the Cardinals not really caring about anyone else that's why Hassan Reddick had a great season a couple of years ago because he was in he was just dealing with one guy almost the entire time because everyone's looking at Chandler Jones and worried so now that you have J.J. Watt it's another guy as another layer to this defensive line that are like okay well there's J.J. Watt on one side and there's Chandler Jones on another so <laughs> who are we going to block you know and that's kind of why a lot of a lot of teams want to have like Everyone needs their Bud Dupree to their TJ Watt or every team. For example, I think a great example is Miles Garrett's a great edge rusher, but everyone always kind of figured out that they, they need another one across Miles Garrett for him to be fully effective. And that's why they, they look to add edge rushers this year in the offseason. So I think that <clears throat> I think that this is uh, another case of that. And it kind of felt like, you know, maybe this is Chandler Jones' chance to uh, come back and have another great season and continue to be done. But, of course, he, he backs out and he wants to go somewhere else. And, like I said, it just depends on where he goes. Same for Xavier Howard. I think, I think for Howard, at least, because he's a lot younger, I think that this could be a chance for him to, uh, you know, I, I really don't think this trade would, would mean as much in the long run for his career. But I think for Chandler Jones, it does matter a lot because if he doesn't go to a team that's good uh, and he ends up, you know, being stuck in this Cleo Max the Bear situation – uh, this might really make us forget who Chandler Jones was. And that's kind of scary to me because I love Chandler Jones as a player. Yeah, because also Xavier Howard is uh, Xavier Howard is right in the midst of his prime right now. Chandler Jones right. kind of fading a little bit, but still very good. And uh, yeah, that'll be interesting to see what happens there. So how about 
I mean, this is a team we've talked about quite a bit on the podcast, but how about the Seahawks and Jamal Adams? Because we, we actually, I think we brought it up last week. Like, I think the Jamal Adams trade worked out swimmingly for the Seattle yep. Seahawks. Like, I think that turned out fantastic, giving up the two picks and Bradley McDougal. Um, yep. Even if Adams walks away, the fact they got two years of Jamal Adams right in the prime window of Russell Wilson, uh, when they really struggled to draft homegrown talent other than, you know, DK Metcalf and the punter, I think it worked out swimmingly. So I don't know what, where contract talks are breaking down, but um, Jamal Adams is back in the news at this time of year. Cause I think he got traded like one year ago last week. So yes, Jamal Adams news. Yeah. I mean, you know, ultimately I think that, uh, Adams, the trade made sense for the Seahawks, and I think it has worked out for them. But at the same time, I think a lot of us are expecting a little bit more from Jamal Adams than what we got last year, and we're hoping that this is just a uh, a poor season, and hopefully he'll turn things around and get better next season. Because I know there's a lot of Jamal Adams disrespect out there, but I still definitely think he is a part of the top six safeties in the NFL right now. I don't know if he's top five. Oh, do Ooh. we want to do this game? Do we want to play Mika this game? Mika Fitzpatrick, Jesse Bates. This is no order. Mika Fitzpatrick, yeah. Jesse Bates, Buda Baker, Justin Simmons, Tyron Matthew. By the top way, five. he down here last year. Um, <laughs> but let's see. Yeah, I mean, I oh, I still think we got breaking I, news. I take those breaking news into the show right now also. But sorry, go ahead first. Uh, here's our problem. Jesse Bates is a better safety than Jamal Adams, and I will die saying this. And Bates did not make any – did not even make the All-Star game last year. So, I, I yeah, think that the there's some disrespect going on a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And I think no, Justin Simmons is also definitely near the top of the list in the safeties as well. And I think we can both agree that Tyler Matthews is a top five safety. Well, here you go. So, here's, here's Madden's top safeties coming into this <laughs> season, according to Madden. Devin Ravens. McCourty is not a top five yeah, safety. Devin McCourty is a 92 on this list. Uh, Tyran, number one, 95. Buddha, 93. McCourty, 92. Bates, 91. Simmons, 91. Jamal Adams, 90. Tied with Harrison Smith as a 90. Harrison Smith's up there too, man. It's what's tall. Well, Harrison Smith uh, was the number one undisputed for a while, but he hasn't yeah. been at the top of his game for a couple of years now. But He's Harrison Smith was over. amazing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Harrison Smith but, was amazing. But for one, why is Mink an 89? That is ridiculous. I think we can both agree on that, right? I mean, is Mink an 89? Be... Oh, yeah, he 89. is an 89. He's ninth huh. on the list, I think, or something like that. Yeah, he's tied with uh, Adrian Amos and Eddie Jackson. Yeah, and that is ridiculously low for Minka Fitzpatrick. I mean, he was fantastic last year. So I, I really, it really kind of feels like to me, uh, him and really him and Bates are the top dogs right now, and what I consider the safety group. And I'm not trying to be biased. I know that you might think I'm biased, uh, and I would understand why. But I mean, they are two very key pieces to their teams. Both of them are center fielders. They are guys who are all over the field. Both of them have elite range, can, are great with ball skills, completely just to flip the game on their heads. And uh, I, I think the, I think the biggest, the biggest thing that kind of impresses me is to see how much Jesse Bates carried the Bengals entire defense last year. There was quite literally no one else in that defense outside of Jesse Bates. And the, the defense was, bad but it wasn't terrible which is just crazy to see because they had LaShawn Simmons playing cornerback too and he was statistically probably the worst cornerback in NFL history that last year (laughs) and Jesse Bates is I mean 
was somehow saving his butt a lot of the time. So it was just really impressive to see just to basically be able to manage uh, the the defense in a way that he did. And, and I think for, for Minka, of course, it, I think it goes without saying, Minka is one of the best in the league when it comes to ball skills and being able to read the quarterback in general. And I think that once – uh, once he was able to fit into the Pittsburgh Steelers system where they have great edge rushers and stuff, he was able to shine and perform his best. And of course, you know, Buda Baker and Tyron Matthew both. <clears throat> Tyron is kind of, of course, the centerpiece to the Chiefs defense, really. I mean, he is the, the, the piece everything he can play either safety spot he can play slot corner he just he matches up against anyone and shuts them down that's what his job is and he does it to an level and as for buddha baker being that you know strong safety really for the team i consider a strong safety at least i think that a very hard hitter again he's another guy that can be really good with ball skills i think he forces a lot of fumbles and is able to be really successful uh in in turning the ball over and forcing mistakes in the offense uh and, and i look at a guy like um, who's the last one? Justin Simmons. Justin Simmons is, again, the centerpiece to the Broncos, I would say now, elite secondary. And Simmons is another free safety, another great center fielder, another guy very similar to, I think, Buda Baker in a lot of ways, uh, while also having his, his touch of Jesse Bates to him as well. She's kind of like a little bit of a blend of both. So I look at those guys. And, and, and for me, Jamal Adams, the problem with Jamal Adams is you could tell there's an obvious weakness there in coverage compared to these other five guys. And these other five guys are definitely a step above him in coverage pretty well. I think when you look at, you know, how hard he hits tackling wise uh, and, and run stopping, he is probably the best in the game right now, but I look at coverage and said, coverage is a big part of every safety game. And I see that he's a step below. I kind of consider these other five is a little bit better than what Jamal Adams is right now, but I will say Jamal Adams is probably six. I play about Harrison Smith seven. Uh, I don't have a ranking from one to five for those five guys. I kind of see them all in a very similar playing field right now. Jamal Adams might be the best linebacker in the league. I will say that if we, if we yes. just attributed yes. him as a linebacker, he might be the best linebacker in the NFL, but he happens him to play Bobby safety. Wagner. Yeah, that too. Bobby Wagner on the inside and Jamal Hold Adams him. on the outside. The breaking news that I had is uh, Zach Wilson is uh, reporting to Jets camp after finally negotiating his rookie contract, which how stingy do you have to be to negotiate down on the rookie wage scale? They literally can't make more than $9 million. I don't know why people do that with the rookie wage scale, but yeah, congrats. Zach Wilson's it's in camp the now. Jets. It's yeah. the Jets. But it was also the 49ers. I will, I will give them credit. The 49ers also negotiated down with Trey Lance, but I looked at that and but- like, well, you're not – you're not going to play him week one anyways, so yeah. whatever. Because Trey Lance isn't going to be really playing at all. So Well, he I mean, should. He should, though. <laughs> but, I mean, I think that, you know, Trey Lance is still a guy that has a lot of uh, work that he has to do before. I think he can step on an NFL field right now, and he can definitely do that in the preseason, but. There's certainly a possibility where he might have to sit a little bit like like Baker Mayfield did, like Justin Herbert did, maybe even like Patrick Mahomes did, sitting an entire year before he's able to be comfortable and step into the role that he's going to end up playing for the for the 49ers. Because this is, you know, keep in mind, this is Kyle Shanahan's offense, and there's so many layers to it. It's a very hard offense to learn. Uh, and, and I think that uh, once he was able to step into it, I, I think that they're, they're one, they're, they want to make sure this is their quarterback. They want to make sure that this is the best of its ability because this is their window right now. Uh, once he starts to get better. So uh, it's going to be an important – the 49ers have to play this safe. They have to, make, they have to make sure that this is going to work. So I think that they might be a little bit more patient on Trey Lance than maybe some other people will.
Last point of news here. I know we talked about this on Sunday, which you can also check out that episode of Wired Up with uh, Blake Jude, of course. Um, Aaron Rodgers. All a ploy to get Randall Cobb, question mark. All his four <laughs> yeah. months of holdout were just a ploy to get Randall Cobb. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. I'm yeah, so happy. Your boy, your boy Randall Cobb, forgot. Kentucky, oh. Former Kentucky quarterback Randall Cobb. My favorite <laughs> NFL player of all time. Did you know that? <laughs> yes, I did indeed. It's uh, it's him and Benny Snell right up there. So, <laughs> yeah, you're and, and Lynn Bowden and – Josh Allen, the not the quarterback Josh Allen, the edge rusher for the Jaguars, Josh <laughs> Allen. Yeah. Uh, Randall Cobb. Really. Uh, yeah, listen. pretty much. But Randall Cobb specifically. Randall Cobb is definitely number one. Right, yes. No, there's, there's a gap. Uh, I grew up watching Randall Cobb play for Kentucky. And, I mean, team. Like, you – there would be times when you would forget that Randall – and Cobb were not two different players. They were the same guy. Like, that's how crazy he was. He was literally everywhere. He was their punt returner, their kick returner, their running back, their quarterback, their wide receiver, quite literally everything on Kentucky. So the high school offense. They ran the high school offense where the the star player just gets to play every position and just hand the ball off and let him do whatever. I, I genuinely want to say combining special teams and offensive snaps, Randall Ball touched the ball over 95% of the time, which is crazy <laughs> to see from a wide receiver. Like, you would expect that from a receiver? That is crazy. I mean, he literally played everywhere. He played Wildcat. He was the running back in the backfield. He, like, he played a slot wide receiver. He was outside wide receiver. He quite literally was everything for this team. The only thing he did not do was block. So I, I think that, uh, you know, watching him as a, as a kid, and that's really where I kind of – gained my love for football in general was Randall Cobb's college years in Kentucky. That's when I, that's really the big reason why I kind of have a special place in my heart for a guy like Randall Cobb. And I loved watching his career with Aaron Rodgers, you know, happen. And I, and I love that Aaron Rodgers is pending this out to be a last dance. And he brings back his really, I mean, outside of Jordy Nelson, his best wide receiver, his most successful duo wide receiver. Uh, and, well, and, I would say. I mean, like in the past, in the past, I'm I mean, you're going to disrespect you know. Jeff Janis? You're going to disrespect Jared Aberderis? No. You're going to okay, disrespect Mercedes Lewis? <laughs> Mercedes Lewis. Listen, Randall Cobb was great. I just thought it was really cool because I loved, I loved their duo. I might be a little biased. I don't know. But I love their, like, their friendship and just how they played together. They were just really cool. And, and I really liked that with the, with the Packers and, and for the Packers perspective this is absolute best case scenario for a lot of reasons one this is you know you're giving Jordan Love an extra year to um to kind of develop and I think that's very key for this team because if Jordan Love can come in and have his extra season maybe he ends up becoming a lot or pro ready his first year of playing than we actually might have thought. And all of a sudden this Packers team window might still even be open, which is crazy to imagine, but could be true at the same time. This is also probably their even, even with Rogers, this might be one of their last windows of winning anyways with Rogers. So uh, might as well have it happen. Might as well try to trade him, get other draft pieces maybe, and try to look towards extending your window sometime in the other future. So the Packers, what's great about the, for the Packers here is they can decide when their window will be. They get to decide how or what will happen 
and when their window will be open. And that could really lead to good scenarios because if they are able to make this move correctly, they could be in the Super Bowl eventually. <laughs> eventually. Yeah, last year felt like their best chance, but eventually sounds good. Um, but, but it's a lot better. It's a lot better than us saying we don't know what's going to happen to the Packers. They could fall apart because Rodgers might just leave them and they don't, we don't know what they're going to do at that point because they're just kind of stuck with nothing. They have no quarterback. You know, Jordan Love, who's not um, completely, you know, pro ready yet and and a team that is ready doesn't have a quarterback to win now you know it's a lot better than being in that situation of course they get to decide you know whether they want to trade all their pieces and get new assets or if they want to try to get or, or try to have jordan love be the pro ready quarterback he is or maybe try to back uh and, and using all those trade assets that you got from rogers to maybe try to go out and get other pieces to be a, a team that's ready to win now uh, did you see the connection between Randall Cobb and Amari Rogers surfacing around the internet where yep. at Kentucky, Randall Cobb's uh, position, one of his position coaches was Amari Rogers father. So all of a sudden Amari Rogers is like, wait a minute, this dude gets to come in like this, this mentor gets to come in who, you know, he's known him since he was nine years old. Like, dang, that's kind of cool. And yeah. It works out all right for the Packers, considering they've now got like eight wide receivers on their roster. Now, to be fair, Equinemius can get the hell out of here. He'll be <laughs> out of here by training camp. But they do have uh, like seven, eight wide receivers on the roster now. Yeah, no, I mean, Amari Rogers, uh, for one, is a, is a pretty similar player to uh, Randall Cobb in a lot of ways because in the NFL aspect, not really in college. In college, they were quite different. But I think in the NFL, you know, not being the speedy guy, Mario Rogers is not extremely fast, but he is very shifty compared to Randall Cobb. Both of them are very, very shifty players who can break ta- or break tackles really easy, uh, spin around, you know, juke. They, they have all of those abilities to be able to be shifty, be able to change directions really fast. And I think what both of them do best in their game is the screen game, being able to have the ball in their hands and be able to make plays after the catch, yards after the catch. I think that's what both of their games are really well. I think Randall Cobb will be a fantastic teacher for Amari Rodgers in the long run. But, yeah, I mean, look at the wide receiver core as a whole now. You have Devontae Adams, which is, I would say, right now, the best wide receiver in the league right now, you could argue, uh, with with Aaron Rodgers. You have um, Alan Lazar. You have Marquez Valdez-Scantling. You have Amari Rodgers. And you have a good group of wide receivers now that is this is no longer an issue with weapons you have aaron jones you have big bob tanyan you have aj dillon you have eight guys that you could put on the field for rogers to use and you could argue that maybe rogers was the one who made these guys who they are but at the same time it doesn't change the fact that these are still guys that rogers were successful with so this is going to be a team that as long as the offensive line stays up to where you know they can be and as long as they have Defense does not completely just fold somehow. This is a team that can be legit. Like, I mean, all of a sudden, I saw the Super Bowl uh, odds raised by double. And, I mean, genuinely, I think now they are near the top five teams in the league I think can win the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, I mean, I don't see why not, given that they were right there last year. We we had assumed if they had beaten the Bucks, they probably would have beat the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. So, uh, much of the team's still there. I mean, you lose Preston Smith, but I think Rashawn Gary is, like, really good. Like, like yeah. Sean Gary is going to be awesome. Yeah. So you could, you could plug that in there and yeah, I mean, they still never really filled the middle linebacker hole, but that's okay. They, they can, they can figure the rest out from there. Well, the Packers I are, mean, the Packers are kind of going to be all right though. 
yeah, I mean, everything. Like you have Jair Alexander, one of the better younger, uh, you know, cornerbacks in the league. You have Adrian Amos and um, Donald Savage, one of the better, uh, you know, safety duos in the league. You added Eric Stokes at cornerback. Do they still have uh, Clinton help... Dix or no? Is Clinton Dix somewhere else? No, he's definitely not there anymore. He's on the Bears, right? I think he's on the Bears. <laughs> yeah, he, he's somewhere. <laughs> nowhere. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, uh, linebacker position is, is pretty rough. I, mean, I know they added uh, the draft prospect Isaiah McDuffie from Boston College, but outside of that, uh, nothing really new there. But at the same time, I mean, everything else on the team is, is really, really solid. I mean, you could really argue outside a middle linebacker. They are pretty much set everywhere else. So I think that this is this is – Really good. And, um, you know, I would say middle linebacker is an important position in some aspects. When you look at it as a whole, it might be one of the least important positions in football in general. So I think you could survive with having two average to below average linebackers. I think you could survive somewhat because, you know, the Chiefs were never really known for their elite middle linebacker play. Uh, a lot of, you know, of course, the Steelers and, and the Ravens are a little bit different because they have their elite guys. But there are other teams that have been successful without the elite middle linebackers. So yeah, you just need stars. Teams just need yeah. stars on defense. And the Packers have their fair amounts. Zadarius they Smith. Four. Uh, four? That Jair, yeah. Zadarius Smith, Rashawn Gary? Is that who you're going uh, with? Well, I was going to say Adrian Amos is definitely up That's there. Uh, Zadarius Smith, Jair Alexander. Who's the last one you said? I Gary. Um... Maybe Kenny Clark. I guess, yeah. Darnell Savage. Yeah. Darnell uh, Savage, Kenny Clark. Between one of those two, I think you can have a star. Sean Gary. I think there's there's going to be an extra star in that solid. Group of three. Yeah. yeah. I mean, last year, well, no, two years ago, it was probably Preston Smith and Blake Martinez, but both of them are gone now. Um, yeah, Packers got solid defense. Should be okay. And what, you know, could be the number one offense in the NFL next year. So. Right. That's a nice combo to have. It'll get you to the top five. That that combo yep. should get you to the top five. Um, yeah, that's all I got for today. So uh, make sure to check out Blake Jude and his new podcast, uh, Stripe Hype All Day, D-E-Y. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> yes, check that out. Check out Stripe Hype Cincy, banglesinsider.com, all kinds of fun stuff. And you know, semi pretty much weekly correspondent on the take it easy podcast for year number two. Um, hell yeah. Basically fun every co-host. single time. Yeah it's, yeah. it's fun every single time. I, there's not one dull episode here and uh, I really enjoy it. So thank you yet again. Well, for me on. We, we did do an episode just shitting on Kansas football. Well, actually we've done like <laughs> six episodes just shitting on Kansas football. It's fun for me, but I don't Those know are... if it's fun for everyone else. I mean, they're fun to me too. Like, I mean, I just, I just love podcasts where we just make fun of teams. Actually, that's yeah. right where well, I'm at. This is a good time to do it. So let me ask you about Texas and Oklahoma this week. Actually, no, just okay. you know, what do you got on that? You got a little food for thought on Texas and Oklahoma <laughs> bailing out of the Big Twelve and leaving all these crappy schools floundering in the air. Looking yeah, at I mean, you, Kansas State. <laughs> looking at you, Oklahoma State. Looking at yeah, you, TCU. Not so fun anymore, is it, TCU, now that you don't have <laughs> Texas and Oklahoma to protect your your precious dollars that you left the Mountain West for, huh? Not fun, is it, TCU? I mean, looking at it from the Kentucky football perspective, I mean, we are screwed. <laughs> like, like, we yeah. have no chance. <laughs> 
I mean, yeah, congratulations to that. <laughs> no, actually, now that I think about it, conference realignment might mean that you guys get Missouri. So that might not be the worst mm. thing in the world. You guys might we miss already Texas have Missouri. Oklahoma. We already have Missouri. Oh, that's right. They're We're the going to get Alabama. <laughs> oh, you guys are going to get Alabama. Bama and Auburn. They're going to come over here, and Oklahoma and Texas are going to go west. We are screwed. Maybe Arkansas? <laughs> Maybe you get Arkansas? <laughs> well, if Bama goes, Auburn has to go, right? Yeah, that's, that's probably – Or they do a cross-division rival because then Bama would – Bama's cross-division rival every year is Tennessee, so they play Tennessee every year, but now they'd be in the same division as Tennessee, so maybe not. But I assume they'd go to the same division. But but the thing is, like, I mean, Auburn's the furthest team east uh, in the Eastern and Western Conference for the SEC, and so it would only make sense yeah, but, if Alabama. But then Missouri is in them. the east. It's very confusing. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. I mean, they, they could probably – time. I mean, it's going to have to be a good team, right? Like, you can't have a, a division with – Auburn, Alabama, Texas, Oklahoma, Texas A and M. Oh no, uh, let's do that. Let's do that. I kind of want to see that. that. I let's want put Georgia that. in that one too. Like, yeah, move Georgia over there. Guys over there. Let's just yeah, move Arkansas, just... Missouri, Tennessee, Kentucky all together. Let's do yeah, that. We've got the division of death and Lane Kiffin. I like that. It's just <laughs> division of death with Lane Kiffin hanging out. <laughs> Heck yeah, man. Or is it, it's gonna be it's gonna be Ole Miss versus Alabama for the SEC yeah. championship. <laughs> no, that's my favorite division now. It's just five of the top twelve programs in college football and Mike Leach. I want that division. <laughs> I want that division to exist. This poor Mississippi State's gonna go like zero and twelve. Yeah. Yeah. No, they got the air raid though. I guess I don't know. Uh, they'll, they'll be okay. They're no, due for they won't. right. <laughs> sure. They they kind of used Maybe. that up during the Dak Prescott years. They kind of used up that magic already when they were the first team to ever be ranked number one in the college football playoff poll. So maybe their magic is out of luck, but they've already sold their soul. Did they sell their soul? And it's Dan Mullen. Yeah, they kind of sold their soul. Yeah, <laughs> right. I guess they kind of did. So, yeah, sucks to be Kentucky, but uh, how about Kentucky go join the Big Twelve? You can go hang out with uh, you can go hang out with Iowa State and them in the Big Twelve. Uh, you know, if if we were to join anywhere, I'd want to join the ACC. Give us Louisville. Give us Duke. Give us North Carolina. Yeah, I would enjoy that. But that would be that would be interesting. Happens. That'd be good for basketball purposes, but insane for basketball. Was, that'd be me. I was high, figuring bro. out the 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 math around it. Basically, says um, basketball is worth about twenty percent of the conversation. Football brings in four times the revenue as basketball. Yep. So yeah, basket I even mean, Big Twelve basketball. Like Kansas will probably go to the Big Ten just because of basketball purposes, but. Everyone else is kind of like, where can we get in as a football conference? Whether it's Oklahoma State and the ACC or the Pac-12 or wherever they go. A lot of those teams are going to end up in the Pac-12, I think. A lot of those right. leftover yeah. Big 12 teams. Yeah, uh, I think that, you know, we're now looking at the Power 5 or Power 4. Sorry, Power, power 4, four really. Power yeah. 4 plus UCF. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so it's, we're going to have be a... four 16-team conferences going to be a new era of college sports which is exciting but also kind of scary at the same time because you know it's going to be different a lot different and uh let's see how it works out but i will say i think that um uh what was i going to say uh Lane Kiffin? Well, no sorry that's what i was going to say <laughs> Lane Kiffin. oh oh yeah no, i remember what i was going to say thank you uh i don't know how it reminded me of what i was going to say but it worked so uh what you mentioned earlier football generates 
pretty much all the revenue for all athletics and really everything else that is generated is probably madness. So it really just kind of is those two things and nothing else. Like not even regular season college basketball. It's just March Madness that produces all uh, for sports. So uh, now that all these are switching up a little bit, you know, a lot of these, like you said, a lot of these teams like TCU are probably going to get screwed over. All of a sudden that third program might be falling down a little bit down the rankings and we might start to see uh, other teams maybe uh, start to maybe possibly rise up now that everything is changing. Like maybe you're going to have the North Texas or UCF uh, go into now a Power Five school or Power. And all of a sudden now they are maybe in the like in um, the, the big ranks somehow. So uh, we'll have to see how it all works out. But I am excited for the for the future of uh, college sports in general. It's going to be really fun and interesting to watch. I mean, this this makes everything just really exciting. I just love changing in sports, and it makes me excited. Yeah, UCF has a case because they have the largest alumni base in the state of Florida, so they've got a they've got a case for getting into a Power Four. Um, but I assume the Pac-12 is just going to have a Texas division next uh, coming up. They're going to have the the California division because you've got Sacramento or you've got Stanford, Berkeley, UCLA, USC. You've got the Oregon Washington division with Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, Washington State. You've got Colorado, Utah. Arizona, Arizona State, and then the Texas the states division. that don't matter. Just, yep, pretty much. Yeah, the 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 Arizona and others, and then you have <laughs> uh, the Texas division, which is just Baylor and TCU and Texas Tech and also Oklahoma State. <laughs> just yep. Oklahoma State gets lumped into just Texas. There. Yeah, they're yeah. basically Texas. It's the same thing. <laughs> pretty much. The yeah. Cowboys. Sure. Yeah, they they can get lumped. They can get lumped in. You know who else is? No. Uh. Yeah. That that would be the easiest way to do it. Just assume all those Big Twelve teams, then send Iowa State and Kansas and Kansas State up to the Big Ten, and then you're all good. And then West Virginia. Yeah, West Virginia, tough shit, tough shit. West Virginia, <laughs> they can let you in the ACC. I think they, they didn't the get into the ACC before because. Uh, of their academic issues. The West Virginia is not academically able to get into the ACC, I guess, or that was their issue in the past. But yeah, West Virginia, tough shit. Sorry, West Virginia. <laughs> You're just hanging out. To the you back can, you, you go. go <laughs> oh, that would suck. That would <laughs> suck. <laughs> Imagine telling West Virginia, sorry, you're in Conference USA with Marshall now. That would suck. <laughs> That's like for all Conference USA because, like, no one's winning anything in that conference. It'd be the new – Yeah. It's going to be the Gonzaga, quite literally. The new Gonzaga of college yeah. basketball. It'd be in football and basketball, though. Yeah. No, that would – oh, that's right. West Virginia for basketball would be appealing. But, oh, go to the Big East. Just go to the Big East, West Virginia. Pull, <laughs> pull up with Creighton and Baylor in them in the – or Butler in the Big East. <laughs> go to the hey, guys, Big East remember for me? basketball. <laughs> Yeah. Was West Virginia? Oh, they were in the Big East. That's right. Yeah. West Virginia was in the Big East. Yeah. Go to the AAC and uh, play in the play in the Big East for basketball. <laughs> West Virginia. I, yeah. Maybe just go to the ACC. I don't know. West Virginia. Tough shit. You're going to lose out on this one. Maybe West <laughs> Virginia ends up in the Pac-12 because we're just saying to hell with regions now. Maybe we just throw West Virginia in with the Pac-12 teams. I think I think it would be beneficial for all the conferences to rename themselves because it just the Southeastern Conference. There are you know Missouri's not Southeast. <laughs> just, that's just not at all close to where. I mean, 
Missouri, Missouri's the old Southwest, so you could call it South, maybe, maybe. It's kind of South-ish. <laughs> southeast? No, not East. Texas isn't East either, but it's South, so yeah. you know what? It's just... It's not south and east, though. It is southeast. Like when I think of southeast, I think of Florida. Yeah, but there's Florida, not enough Florida. Georgia. You got to go Florida, Georgia, Alabama, LSU, Tennessee, Kentucky. Money I says you got to go to Texas. And Texas. Let's just get UCF to join us. That is more I guess, accurate. But Florida's not going to want that. Florida's not going to want UCF in there. Not in the SEC. No way. No way UCF gets the SEC. They got to go to the mini conference first. They got to they got to go to the little boy league, which I'm guessing is the what the ACC. I don't know. Maybe no. they, maybe they go maybe they go. It, to was, the, it was it was the Big Twelve before the Big Twelve pretty much imploded. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the reason they would never let Houston in either. Was just because Houston's like the fourth largest city, and Houston would like dominate recruiting if they ever were let yeah. in the Big Twelve. Houston's going to be left on the outside looking in. So, anyways, we got 10 minutes of laughing at college football. So, how about that? All right. Have a great week, my man. I appreciate you doing it this morning. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. All right. See you later, Blake. You're on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.